Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Lisa, thank you. I told Brenda the other day I, was, I wanted to invite you to come to our church, but I was scared if, if you came, they'd fire me and hire you. So I, I'm still nervous about that, but anyway, we'll, we'll see how that works out. Thank you, thank you. I'm thankful that we were a blessing to you. Uh, Christopher, can you turn this down? I feel like I'm yelling at everybody. Oh, thank you. Um, or thank you, Derek. Um, we received way more than we gave. And so I just want you to know that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Obviously, everybody knows thank you, thank you, thank you for all that everybody did uh, to make this week a success. And uh, it was a success, and the Lord did some wonderful things uh, in a lot of people's lives, starting with mine. And, um, yeah, many hands do make light work, but I don't know that we had... <laughs> it was lighter work, that's right. It was, it was a lot of work. But uh, it, was a good, it was a good week, and the Lord was with us. And Anyway, my bride's not here today, obviously. She is almost to North Carolina... Uh, to, Asheville, she's going to a writer's uh, something, a writer's convention or something to learn how to uh, write better. And uh, so anyway, that's where she is. She'll be back Friday or Saturday, I guess. I think that's right. So that's what I'm hoping. Um, I wanted to talk to y'all today about something sort of near and dear to my heart. Uh, of all the the um, the aspects of who I understand God to be and what He wants to be in my life, there are many. Um, and we. We've talked about a lot of them, but there is no uh, quality or desire, I guess is a better word, desire that I understand God to have as He relates to me personally than His desire to be a, a, a refuge for me. And that's what I want to talk to you all about today. I... This didn't come from anything other than just my own personal reflections of my journey with the Lord. And I hope that they will encourage you and challenge you and open up all of our eyes more clearly to this aspect of who God wants to be in our lives. Um, there have been times in my life where I desperately needed a refuge. Um, I've told y'all a little bit about that time that I was an idiot. Uh, well, that hadn't changed, but it was a specific time of, of idiocy where I uh, was running in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, just providentially that I would say that today, during a snowstorm, and I got lost. And uh, I, it, was, it was wartime conditions. And uh, I needed a refuge. When I broke, I was hiking up with a group of guys. I don't, Larry Hunt, you didn't go with me to China, did you? No. Uh, uh, anyway, I was leading a group of guys 
in a part of China way up in the mountains that we should not have been in. Uh, anyway, and uh, <laughs> I fell off a, a, a little cliff kind of a thing and broke my leg and we were 20 miles from anything and I, I, I needed a refuge. I mean, I needed a refuge. I remember one time I was in a boat at Pickwick Lake with my family. My daughter was little, about as little as those little girls right there were, or are. And uh, uh, a storm came up like I had never seen before. And uh, the boat, it was a big boat, a pontoon boat, but it was about to tump over. It was about to capsize. And uh, I needed a refuge. Um... There are times for all of us where we feel endangered, uh, afraid, vulnerable, threatened, attacked, where we feel like life is out of control. For some of us, that threat is visible external, um, physical. Uh, we, we can see it. We can see the threat. For others of us, the threat is invisible. It's internal. It's emotional. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's spiritual. But it's a threat to our life, in our life, nonetheless. I, I can't imagine there being a person in this room that doesn't understand being in places and going through times where we all, we get it, we get what it means and feels like to desperately need a refuge. A place to hide, a place to get help, a place where we can run to for protection, for defense, for rest, for safety. I, I, I feel that to varying degrees regularly in my life. And one of the things that the Lord has convinced me of, I struggle in my faith in more ways than any of you could imagine. And that's not being humble, that's being truthful. But the Lord has convinced me that He longs to be a place of refuge where I can go to when I'm afraid. Under attack. Feel endangered when I need a place where I can go to heal and rest. I believe that for many reasons. Let me give you two quick ones why I believe God wants to be that place for me and for you, because He likes you just as much as He does me, maybe better. But 
I'm convinced that he wants to be a place of refuge for me. First of all, and these are not in any order, but I'll just give you two quick ones. One is, I find it incredibly significant that when God was getting ready to lead his people out of the wilderness, across the Jordan River, into the promised land, the very first thing that he told them to do. Now you think about this, you're about to, hey, we're going to go into the promised land and we're going to start a nation. What would you do first? What would, you, what would be the, we're going to start a new country, the Larry Ray country, okay? Glad y'all could be here today. We're going to start a new nation. What, let's set up a, 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 a list of things we ought to do. What would the list include? Do you know what was on God's list as number one? The very first thing that He told the people of Israel to do when they crossed the Jordan River. Out of all the things that He could have told them to do, the very first thing He, and he, told, them to, he told them four different times to do it before they ever crossed the Jordan. He said, when you cross the Jordan River and you get into the Promised Land, I want you to select six cities. And I want you to call those cities cities of refuge. I want you to create safe places where people can run to when they're under attack, when they feel threatened or endangered. Now where that comes from, that, that doesn't mean that much to us. But where that came from in that day, back in the ancient Middle Eastern world, and this wasn't just Israel, this was all the countries in the Middle East back then. They didn't have, uh, in that day, they had very little, if any, laws, uh, judges, policemen, judicial systems. They, they didn't have, if they had any, it was very little and very... Uh, uh, ill-structured, any, any, any way of, of making people relate rightly to one another. And so over generations, what developed was this idea, which I love, um, but it, this idea developed of a blood avenger. And what a blood avenger was, was that each family would select one person, it was normally the biggest, the meanest, the toughest, the most powerful, and often the richest person in the family. And they would say, Clay, you're the blood avenger for our family. You're responsible to defend us, to protect us. If anybody harms anybody in our family, it's your job to go and make it right. I love that. And it worked pretty well. It basically created an atmosphere where families left each other alone out of a fear of experiencing the wrath of the blood avenger. But there were problems with the system. There were times when something occurred that was unintentional. It was an accident. 
It was a misunderstanding. It, 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 it wasn't overt, intentional attack or wrong or theft or murder or, or whatever. It was an accident. Problem is that when it was an accident, very often the blood avenger didn't care. And he would go and deal with that person even though it was an accident. The result being that there were times when the weak and the innocent and the vulnerable were punished, attacked, and abused unjustly. So when God told His people when they entered the promised land to create these cities of refuge, what He was saying is, I don't want that kind of wrong and injustice against the weak and the vulnerable and the innocent. I don't want that to occur among my people. I want you to provide six places where people can go and find safety and help when they feel like they're under attack. Now God did this because He cared about the practical needs of His people. But even more so, I believe, God wanted the Israelites to create these, these places of refuge to communicate to them who God is at His heart. He wanted them to see that God's very nature is a nature of one who wants to be a refuge for His people when they feel threatened or endangered or under attack. Second reason that I believe this is the desire and passion of God to be our refuge is because of the sheer number of times the Bible says, I want to be your refuge. Make me your refuge. Let me be your refuge. I found it very interesting that as I read these scholars that, that know the Bible much better than I do, several of them suggest that over 20% of the entire Bible, that's one out of every five verses, 20% of the entire Bible is nothing more than God's declaration that He wants to be the refuge of His people. I find that remarkable. God really wants us to know that it is His desire to be my refuge, to be Becky's refuge, to be Savannah's refuge. Listen to some verses. I could have given you, no kidding, three or four hundred verses. You see the challenge of what you pick, right? Let me just give you a few. Psalm 31. For those who take refuge in God, His promises of grace and help are rich and abundant. Psalm 34. Not one of those who take refuge in God will be condemned. 2 Samuel 22. God is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Nahum 1. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in trouble. He knows all those 
who take refuge in Him. Psalm 5, let all who take refuge in the Lord be glad, for you spread your net of protection over them. And finally, Psalm 14. Notice, I didn't even have to go very far. Okay? Psalm 14, evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. God wants us to know that He will be our refuge when we're in seasons of storm, of darkness, of fear, of pain. He wants to be a place where you and I can go to hide, to rest, to regroup, and to heal. Now I want you to, before I get into this a little more practically, I want you to hear this one thing. The way this worked was that if I had accidentally driven a wagon, God forbid, Stacy, over one of your boys and crushed them. I didn't mean to. The kid ran out in front of me and before I could stop my horse, the, my wagon ran over this child. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> Clay calls the, the blood avenger and says, Larry Ray, Killed our kid. Deal with him. And he starts chasing me. What the Bible says is, I have to go to one of those six cities of refuge. It's not enough that I just know the cities are there. I've got to actually make that city of refuge a place of safety for me. And that's what I, I, I fear for many of us. We read about the blessings of God, but we forget that they're not automatic. They don't just automatically come into our lives. Many of the blessings of God, not all, but many of the blessings of God they're real, they're true, they're available, but they're only impactful when I actually appropriate them and make them mine. Just like that city of refuge. If I, the Bible talks about the fact that if somebody left the city of refuge, didn't make it to the city of refuge, the blood adventure had every right to kill them. Every right to kill them. Well, accident or not intentional or not, if He was chasing you, your salvation was not knowing the city of refuge was there. Your salvation was running inside the gate. The city of refuge was available, but it had to be entered. And it had to be a place that you stayed. It was not enough to believe that it was true. You had to enter in and appropriate it. Listen to these verses. Some more verses. Psalm 55. I call to the Lord and He saves me. In the evening and in the morning I cry out in distress and the Lord hears me and rescues me. Psalm 31. 
Oh, the abundant good things that you have stored up for all those who fear you and take refuge in you. Hebrews 4, let us draw near with confidence to God's throne of grace to find His well-timed help. And Hebrews 6, God has given us His incredible and encouraging promises to all those who have fled to Him for refuge. So that begs the question. I think it's the most important question that I could ask myself. And that is, how do I transition from knowing and believing that God wants to be my refuge to actually being the beneficiary, the recipient of God, how, of His being my refuge. How do I enter into the refuge that God has provided? How do I enter into the refuge that God longs for me to experience? And I'm going to get... I, let me go on and say, this is not some magic six-step formula. I don't mean it like that. I, there, this is not where if you do these six things perfectly, then you, God will be your refuge. That's not the way the Bible works. That's not the, a way, that's not the way a journey with God works. But I do want to give you six considerations that I have learned help me in moving from knowing God wants to be my refuge to entering into the gate and experiencing God as my refuge. Let me give them to you real quickly. Number one, I find it very significant and important that I make a distinction in my understanding what matters is not the strength of the one that's hiding. The only thing that matters is the strength of the refuge. I'm, if I'm in the city of refuge and I'm standing up, singing songs, praising the Lord, doing a Jericho march, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. Great. If I'm in the city of refuge, and I'm huddled over in a fetal position in a corner somewhere, still terrified. Okay, you know what matters? That I'm in the refuge. My strength, my faith, my ability to walk with God and trust God and believe God, that's, that's good, but it's not required. What matters, what's important, is not the strength of the one hiding. It's the strength of the refuge that the person is hiding in. Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and He is our strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. There's a hurricane coming our way. It's blowing winds 140 miles an hour, blowing cows and cars and small houses all around us. I mean, it's terrible. And we have found a, a place that we can hide in. You know who gets the glory? 
not the hiders, but the place where we're hiding. God gets the glory when I actually run inside His presence and let Him be my place of refuge. My condition, my feelings, my struggles, my wavering, my inconsistency, my flaws, my mistakes, my past uh, bad decisions. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not saying those things don't matter. But at the end of the day, what matters most is where I am when the blood avenger comes. When the storm comes, when the darkness comes, when, the, when the, the, the threats and the attacks come, how I feel is not the issue. What the issue is, is where am I? I'm either in the refuge or I'm not. I'll tell you the second thing that's significant to me. I call it the calling issue. And all I mean by that is, over and over and over again, when you read these verses about God being our refuge, what the Bible consistently says is this. We've got to call upon the Lord. We have got to be intentional about asking for God's help. I said it earlier, I say it again. There's a big difference in knowing that God wants to be my refuge and in me calling upon God to be my refuge. Listen to what David says in Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, for you are my strength, my rock, and my fortress. You are my deliverer, my God, and my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. But you know in my life, I know that not everybody in here is like me. This won't surprise you to hear this confession. But when I feel threatened, when I feel endangered, when things get dark, when my world starts falling apart, I will do everything but call upon the Lord. I'll work, I'll connive, I'll fret, I'll complain, I'll get mad, I'll plot, I'll try to fix it, I'll fight, I'll deaden myself so that I don't have to think about it. I'll do anything and everything when I need a refuge, but call upon the Lord. But what God tells me to do is simply this. Ask me. Ask me. I don't need a special time. I don't need a special place. I don't need a priest or a prophet or a preacher. I don't need a church building. I don't need special words. I find it very significant. The Bible is full of special words. And the only thing the Bible tells me to do when I need a refuge is call. Just call. Lord, I need a refuge. That's all I have to say. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this. 
that we, what's what's that first first Peter 5? Cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. All I got to do is tell God what I need. But I'll do anything and everything but that. Will I call upon the Lord when I need a refuge? Yes, thank you, Carl. Thank you, Jesus. Another thought that I have, another consideration that I have regarding God being my refuge, and some of you are going to struggle with this, and that's okay. I think it's good to come to church at least some of the time and struggle. Okay? But there is an exclusivity related to God being our refuge. The Bible would say that God wants to be our refuge. But He will only be our refuge if we make Him our refuge alone. He asked me to trust Him alone. Psalm 142 says, I have no refuge but you. Psalm 62 says, Trust in the Lord at all times. O people, pour out your hearts before Him, for God is a refuge for us. He is our salvation and our honor depend upon God. He is our mighty rock. He is our refuge. Psalm 16 says, Keep me safe, my God, for you are my refuge. I declare you are my God. Apart from you, I have nothing. For all who run after other gods, other refuges, will be disappointed and suffer greatly. We know that to be true. Practically, half a refuge is no refuge. Half an umbrella is no umbrella. Half a parachute is no parachute. Half a boat is no boat. Half a tent is no tent. Half a shield is no shield. There is something about God longing to be our refuge that only is activated when I lay down all the other things I'm trusting in and I trust in Him alone. See, what I want to do is hedge my bets. I want God to be my refuge. But I got plan B, C, D, and E ready to go in case. And God says, no. No. I'm plan A, B, C, D, and E, or I'm no plan at all. And the Bible, you might say, well, I'm not. Larry, where do you get that? How about Noah's Ark? You were in or you were out. Crossing the Red Sea from Egypt, from slavery to freedom. Nobody could keep one foot on the Egypt side of the Red Sea and one foot on the uh, freedom side of the Red Sea. No, no, no. You was either in or you were out. Same with the cities of refuge. You had to get in there. You couldn't keep one foot outside because if you did, the blood avenger would cut your leg off. There's an exclusivity that is a reality when it comes to making God our refuge. And the other three I'll give you real quickly. There's a communal part of God being our refuge. God provides refuge. But you know where, uh, Lisa, this past week, 
God manifested His desire to be your refuge to you personally. But do you know how He did it? I witnessed it with my own eyes. A heavenly angelic repair team floated down on a cloud and landed in your front yard, knocked on your door, walked in. There was a mist and some harp music and uh, some lights and everything. No, no, no. You know how God revealed Himself to be your refuge? He sent God's people. God wants to be our refuge. But you know how God manifests that refuge to us very often? Not always, but very often through His people. And there are people in this room, I know you, I love you, I pray for you, I'll do anything for you, but you are as discouraging as the day can be long when it comes to what I'm saying right now. And that is, you long for God to be your refuge. But you only want God to be your refuge if He'll do it directly. Because you don't want God's people to know. You don't want God's people to be involved. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. I have a need. I need God to be my refuge. And God says, I want to be your refuge. But the way He probably will do it is by you making your needs available and letting God put it on, letting God's Spirit put it on the hearts of God's people to go and help you. And we sit there and go, well, God's not my refuge. God has failed me. God's let me down. I needed God to be my refuge, but God wouldn't do anything for me. He must not love me. Did you let God's people know? Oh, well, no, that'd be embarrassing. Psalm 16 says this, Keep me safe, my God, for you are my refuge. Listen. For I declare that you are my Lord, and apart from you I have nothing. I say of God's holy people, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Isn't that funny that the writer of this psalm, Psalm 16, would say, God, you're my refuge. But he immediately links that to God's holy people being his delight. Because that's how God reveals his refuge to us so often. Number five. I don't understand this, but I know it to be true. There is a connection between God's Word and God being my refuge. Psalm 18 says this, God's Word is flawless. He shields all those who take refuge in Him. Here's what I know. The people that spend the most time getting to know God's Word are the same people that experience God the most as their refuge. That's what I... You might say, well, Larry, can you prove that with a scientific formula? No, I can't. But I can tell you, and anybody in this room 
that has spent a lifetime getting to know God's Word, they'll, they'll tell you, I'm telling you the truth. They'll say, yes. Those that spend the most time getting to know God's Word experience God as a refuge the most. In the last one, there's an eternal issue. And that's simply this. God wants to be my refuge. And God wants to be April's refuge. And God wants to be John's issue, uh, refuge. He wants to be our refuge today. He wants to be your refuge in your marriage. He wants to be your, your refuge in rearing your children, in your work, in your health. He wants to be our refuge every day. But God longs to be our eternal refuge even more. When I am chased and hounded and attacked by mean people, bad economies, bad health, bad communities, bad families, God wants to be my refuge. But folks... When I am hounded by death and everybody in this world is, God longs to be a better refuge, a lasting refuge, an eternal refuge when we face death. Listen to what he says in Psalm 14. In death the wicked are destroyed, but the righteous will find refuge in God. God will be our refuge if we call, if we come, if we run to Him, if we tell Him what we need His help for. He will be our refuge today. But He wants you and me to trust what He has provided so that we can experience His refuge when we die. And I would just appeal to you. I, I don't say this often. I probably don't say it enough. But I'm telling you like I know my name. When I was 18 years old, I heard for the very first time. I'm not saying I wasn't told before that, but I didn't hear it. You know the difference. You, people saying things and you hearing things. And I didn't hear it until I was 18 years old. For the very first time, I heard that God loved me so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross so that I could experience His forgiveness, a new birth, and adoption into His family. And I cried out to Him, and He saved me. And one of the things that He promised me is that when I die, death will no longer be my foe. It'll be my hallway. And I will walk down that hallway and the door on the other end, there's going to be somebody standing there and it's Jesus, the Son of God. And so I would just appeal to y'all, make God your refuge today. But my goodness, make sure that He is your refuge for eternity. Be sure that you have accepted Him as your Savior. Don't, well, I know Jesus is the Son of God. I know all the Bible stories. I know that Jesus died on the cross. I know that Jesus did miracles. I didn't ask you what you know. 
I ask you what you've received. I didn't ask you what you know. I ask you what you've received from Him. Have you received the new birth? And if you haven't, my goodness, Lord, have mercy. Call upon Him. Tell Him your need. God, I need you to be my Savior. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Be my eternal refuge. I'm telling you, it's the best deal you will ever be given in your life. I promise you, I promise you, call upon the name of the Lord and He will save you. Okay. Sorry my bride wasn't here. She would have added much, but she'll be back next Sunday. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, we take the Lord's Supper for many reasons. But the most important reason that we take it is just to remind ourselves and declare to one another that God sent His Son and He shed His blood and His body so that we could experience forgiveness and eternal life. If you have trusted the Lord to be your Savior, if you say, I, I, I don't just know that to be true. I've received it from the Lord. He is in my life. I'm trusting Him to be my refuge now and for eternity. Then I invite you to come. Well, am I a member of your church or do I have to believe? No, no, no. This is His supper, not mine. And if you've trusted Him as your Savior, you come. You eat, you drink, and you remember what God did for you. Okay? You come.